if you're with us, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. You guys know I love to do series through a particular passage or, you know, through a, a particular extended portion of Scripture like we did the Sermon on the Mount like all year last year in Matthew 5 through 7. Lord willing, uh, assuming that God doesn't change things in the next few weeks, I'm hoping in the month of February for us to start looking through the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be headed this year, I think, and spend some uh, extended period of time looking through how God worked through the church in its early days and all that God did in and through them. So that's coming in February. Next week, we have a, a, um, we'll be looking at a, a special topic that's important for us as believers, especially during this time. Next week is the week that we celebrate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That's the day that we remember that God is for life in all of its forms at every age and stage in development. So we'll be focusing on that some next week. And then, like I said, Lord willing, in February, we'll start picking up and looking at the book of Acts. So that makes it difficult for me because I love preaching through a book because I know what's coming next, right? It's easy. It's just the next set of passages, you know. It doesn't mean that it's not a lot of work for you to still prepare a message, but at least you know what your topic is going to be. As I've been wrestling through what's going on in our world right now, I felt led to this passage, and some of you guys know I've talked to a few of you about it. I've wrestled all week long with how to say what I'm getting ready to say. I know that there are ways that people could take some of the things I'm getting ready to say. Um, You know me. You know me well. So please trust me and trust God's word, okay? Now, as we're looking at this this morning, we're here in Mark chapter 2. As we do, we realize that the world around us is sick. Right now, there is a pandemic that is going around the globe, not just here in the United States, but there is a global pandemic that's impacting every corner of our world. Our response to this disease has impacted almost every life in our church and community in a drastic way, whether that's through uh, stay-at-home orders, wearing masks, social distancing. You know, we still have every other pew taped off here in the sanctuary. We're still trying to do things a little differently to help maintain some distance and things like that. We followed the stay-at-home order in attempt to allow our medical system to catch up to the demand. Our most vulnerable populations have often, a lot of our folks haven't been out nearly as much as they would have. They're having to stay in. So the last year has been very difficult for us, although we had escaped it for a long time. Actually, our church family is starting to be individually impacted by COVID-19 as we've started to have some cases crop up within our church family. We've not had any outbreaks here at the church that we're aware of, although we have had some folks who have come down with it in our church family. So it's impacting a lot of us in a lot of different ways. Now, the biggest impact, though, of this pandemic has been those who serve in our healthcare system. Those especially who are serving in hospitals are having the most dramatic impacts as they're balancing higher patient loads with fewer people to care for them, all the while pushing through the nagging fear that they too might get sick. They've had to be there, they've had to listen to every congested cough, and they're dealing not only with COVID, but every conceivable disease. It's not like people have stopped getting sick with other issues or having heart problems or things like that. All of that has continued even in the middle of this pandemic. So it's been incredibly difficult for our healthcare workers. But you know what's so impressive about them and something we've celebrated as a a church? We've sent some goodies to some of our folks who work in some of the hospitals. We've, uh, you know, as a community, you see all the signs about thank you for our frontline medical workers and things. There has been this acknowledgement that, that this is a difficult job, but yet, What's amazing is if you were to go to the hospital right now, there's still a whole lot of people there who are ready to willing to face the risk to take care of them. They're ready to be there. And why do these doctors, why do these nurses, why do these uh, physicians' assistants and all of these people, why do they keep showing up for work every day, knowing the risk, knowing the concerns, knowing the struggle? Why do they do that? Because they know that they can do something to help. 
They may not be able to save every person. They may not be able to change every case and affect every outcome, but they're going to do everything that they can to keep going on. You find them sitting with the sick. Now, I don't in any way, shape, or form want to say anything that takes anything away from what's going on around us. I don't want to make light of anything in the pandemic. I don't want to trivialize it in any way, shape, or form. Here's what I want you to see, though. Jesus sits with the sick. In fact, this is exactly where we find him here in Mark chapter 2. Now, he's not in an ICU ward. He's not in a COVID unit. He's not a vaccine researcher working hard to lessen the impact. But instead, we see Jesus using this picture of fighting a disease to describe both his role and ours in the world around us. Now, this disease that Jesus is working with has been around almost as long as there have been people. In fact, since shortly after God created Adam and Eve, this disease has impacted every human heart, including every single person alive today. It is the disease of sin. It's that decision to turn from God's plan to turn to doing our thing. Sin is the heart, in the heart is what causes us to be born spiritually dead, and it ultimately is the cause of all physical death in our world. So here's my challenge to us today. Again, without trivializing or reducing the concerns over COVID-19, I want us to pull back for just a minute And remember that in the midst of this pandemic, there's an even greater challenge to those around us than just the disease that we're fighting right now. It may not get as much news coverage, and it may not be acknowledged in high-profile deaths, but as we've said, this is a disease that impacts every human heart everywhere in the world. I want to challenge us to follow Jesus' example and make sure that as we take precautions during this pandemic, we also make sure that we're looking up and around at the lives of those around us who are spiritually sick and need Jesus. Can I tell you how I've noticed it in my own heart? I know that masks are a contentious issue, okay? Here's what I have found. When I put my mask on, which I continue to do, when I go into Kroger, Kroger was never a jovial place, right? Walmart was, I've always said, Walmart's the place where happiness goes to die. Um, You would think in a store where you could buy everything that you could conceivably want that people would be happy, but it just doesn't work. It was never a happy place. But I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like there are times when concern over the virus, kind of symbolized by the mask, if you will, has allowed my mask to become a blinder. To where when I go in somewhere, I'm, I'm not concerned about anybody else. I need to get my stuff. I need to get in. I need to get out. I need to get on with my life. Now, again, I'm not saying stop wearing masks. I'm saying as you wear your mask, as you take precautions, Make sure you look up and take time to sit with the sick. That's where we find Jesus this morning, and that's what he's calling us to do. We're going to see that here in Mark's gospel in chapter 2. We're going to be down in verse 13. As you're turning there, um, let's talk about what's going on. The book of Mark is one of the four books where Jesus describes, or is his life on earth and his ministry on earth is described. Mark is one of the shortest ones. He kind of gives us bullet points as he goes through. He moves very quickly through the different stories that he covers. But as he's doing this, by chapter 2 where we are now, Jesus has been out teaching and preaching for a while, and trouble is beginning to pop up. He's running into conflict with the religious leaders because he's not doing things the way that they want him to. They've already gotten mad because in chapter 2, he has healed a man, and before he healed him, he forgave his sins. That's blasphemy because only God has the ability to forgive sins. So already in chapter 2 of Mark, Jesus has already identified himself as God, and the religious leaders don't like it. Now, he's going to make them even more mad because Jesus is hanging out with a group of people that they're not supposed to be with. He's hanging out with people that folks don't like. 
as they're getting mad at him, we see him sitting with the sick. So go ahead and read it with me. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Now, check this out. I love this. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. By the way, we know Levi as Matthew is usually how we refer to him. If, um, if you've noticed, people in the Bible often have two names. Um, it's, kind of, it's fairly common. They get called by a nickname or one name in Greek, one name in Hebrew, that kind of thing. Um, so we usually think of Levi as Matthew, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Verse 15, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard them, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So as we look at what's going on in the world around us today, I want to challenge you to join Jesus in sitting with the sick. Now, as he was kind of talking about what's going on here, there's this group of people who are following Jesus as he's teaching and preaching. He's doing miracles. He's saying things differently than they've ever heard. And he's drawing a massive crowd. In the middle of walking through this massive crowd, he runs into a guy named Levi who was at work as a tax collector. Jesus calls him to himself, and Levi gets saved. Now, Levi and these other tax collectors, by the way, were people that were not very popular. Let's kind of talk about the groups that were at the house that night. You got Jesus, you've got Levi, and, and the other tax collectors who were there. Now, um, tax, you know, I, I don't think I've yet met anybody who has said, you know, I just absolutely love, I love knowing how much money I make and seeing how small my paycheck is. I mean, I just absolutely love that the government takes their pound of flesh before I get my, my money. Doesn't that just, you know, it could be better. Um, as ministers, we're technically self-employed as far as tax status goes. So that means I file my own quarterlies. So I actually get to hold all of my money, and then I have to send it on. You know, most of you, your employer withholds it, so you don't ever actually see it, so it doesn't hurt so bad. Um, if you're self-employed, though, you get to hold it for a little bit, and you look at it and say, wow, that'd be really nice, but you got to send it on. Now, you know, you can argue about how right our government is or how much we should be taxed. In those days, taxation was even worse. Because what was happening at this point was the nation of Israel had actually been divided up into various territories. To go from one territory to another, you had to pay a toll to go from one little kingship to another. Those guys were the tax collectors. So they're sitting at the toll booth taking up the taxes. They often extorted and added a little bit extra to the fee that they skimmed off on the top. So they were hated for being Jews who were working with the Roman government that nobody liked, taking money from their own countrymen, extorting, and even sometimes resorting to violence to be able to collect their taxes. Now, the IRS doesn't seem so bad, okay? But in those days, tax collectors were hated people because they were helping this occupying government. Nobody liked them. They were sellouts, and they were extorting their own people. So we have the tax collectors that are sitting at dinner that night. Then we have this general term, sinners. This was a term that the religious leaders would use to describe those who weren't devout adherents to the law of God. If you were with us when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the third group that was there, the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, these were the guys who were all about being able to follow all of the religious teachings, and and they did really good about making sure their outward appearance looked right, but they were like some of your coffee mugs where all you ever do is you wipe the outside and you never actually clean the inside, okay? Some of you people have coffee mugs that have coffee in them from 1986, okay? That was the Pharisees. They, They wiped the outside of the cup, but they didn't clean the inside. 
So anybody who wasn't like them, who didn't pay as much attention to the ceremonial laws, or maybe we would say didn't grow up in church, didn't know how to behave. You know, how many of you guys have lived in the South long enough that you know that even if you didn't grow up in church, you at least know how to fake it? Okay, these sinners are the ones who don't even know how to fake it, right? They don't even know how you're supposed to behave in church. Um, these are the ones who come up to a pastor after they may you know, come to church with a friend and cuss when they tell them how great a sermon it was. Um, it happens. It's actually, I love it when it happens. It's awesome because that tells me this is somebody who is finding out about Jesus possibly for the very first time or starting to take it serious, and that's fantastic. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Or if you're watching or if you're listening to this later, we are so glad because we want you to know how awesome Jesus is. Okay, so, so these were the sinners that were sitting around, and the, the Pharisees were there too. Like I said, they were the third group. You had the tax collectors that everybody hated. You had the sinners who didn't know how they were supposed to act as religious people. And then you had the religious uppity folks who, by the way, probably weren't actually invited, but they heard about it, so they came anyway. Uh, don't you just love when people show up? They had to just come to make sure that everything was copacetic, right? Um, they were, couldn't keep their mind in their own business. They just decided they wanted to do what they wanted to do, and they were going to make sure everybody was right. Well, they get there and they find Jesus sitting with these tax collectors and these sinners. Now, interesting side note, by the way, Alex this morning pointed out an interesting juxtaposition. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Psalm chapter one, about the fact that we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And now I'm telling you to sit with the sick. What's the difference? Jesus, as he's sitting with the sick, is not sitting there to get advice, to pattern his life after them or joining in in their sin. Instead, Jesus is sitting with them to teach them and show them who God is. So I'm not saying that, that you need to necessarily sit with the sinners in, as far as following your, their life, patterning your life after them, but I am saying you need to be willing to invest in the lives of those around you who don't know Jesus because how else are they going to know who he is? Okay? How else are they going to figure that out? Now, as we look at this, there's going to be three different things that we see about how we deal with sitting with the spiritually sick. And I acknowledge 100% that this will look different in our current environment. You say, well, Sean, how am I supposed to do this? Truthfully, I don't know. Okay? I'll be honest. I don't know because so many of the common places we would go to hang out with people who don't know Jesus, you can't do that right now. You know, there, there's so many things like you don't even sit in the waiting room at the doctor's office anymore. You have to go outside in your car and they come get you. And then, you know, when it's time, it, there's, there's just a lot of difference. But I don't see Jesus saying, oh, well, sorry, my bad. It's a pandemic. Don't worry about it. We need to take this time to sit with the sick. Now, if we're going to do that, there's three basic steps we have to do. Number one is we have to look out for the lost. Look out for the lost. Now, the lost is a term. The Bible talks about the fact that honestly, like people, if we're honest, we are like sheep. Sheep wander off and get lost. And the good message about the Bible is that God comes looking for the lost, okay? If we're going to join Jesus in sitting with the sick and ministering to those who don't yet know Christ, who spiritually are not right with him, then the first thing we have to do is actually look out for them. Look at verse 14. Now remember, verse 13 says that he's got this whole crowd that's coming to him. Jesus is in the middle of teaching this whole massive group of people. Then, verse 14, by passing by, he saw... Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the toll toll booth. Matthew's doing his job while Jesus is teaching. And as Jesus goes by, he sees Matthew. Isn't that incredible to think about it? It wasn't that Jesus just visually recognized that there was a person taking up money. He actually saw him. There's some indication that the word that he used here may have meant more than just visually perceiving something. It has the idea that Jesus actually 
took notice of him. So let me ask you, not how many people were in Kroger with you or how many people in Walmart were with you. How many people did you see this last week? How many people did did you see where you noticed what was going on? Not how many people cut you off or how many people weren't wearing a mask or how many... What did the last cashier you have, what did they look like? I don't know from here down. Yeah, I know. But what, did they seem like they were having a good day? Did you ask? What about the guy with the cart return? Or the nurse that came to take you back for your appointment? Did you see them? Or was it just another face in the crowd? See, this is what's incredible about Jesus. In the midst of this massive crowd that he's teaching, he stopped and noticed one. I don't have time to do that. Look, okay, Jesus is the Son of God taking on human flesh. He is fully God and fully man. At every moment throughout his existence on earth, Colossians 1 tells us he was holding all of creation together. Okay, He is also now interceding at the right hand of God the Father for all of his people. He is teaching a massive crowd, possibly doing some miracles, and Jesus had time to slow down to notice one person. You're not busier than Jesus. So when's the last time you actually looked at what's going on around you? If you and I are going to sit with the sick, first off, we have to know who is sick. I was challenged this week because I got a, a, a curriculum from the North American Mission Board that was talking about helping our church to be able to share the gospel with our friends and with our neighbors. You know what the first step of that is? They had you, wanted you to write out a list of seven people locally, seven people who live in Montgomery County that you could actually go see in an evening, seven names of people who don't know Jesus that you know here locally. I bet for some of us that would be impossible for us to list seven names. We live our lives so turned in, we don't even know seven lost people. Jesus went and sat with the sick. The places we go may not have as many people as they once did, but that doesn't mean that you can't look out for opportunities when you run into folks. Talk to the nurse who comes to take you back. I bet nobody's talked to her all day long. By the way, We have found out over the years, one of my favorite is if you do go to a sit-down restaurant, ask your server, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about? We're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? You'd be amazed at the conversations that opens. If you go to a particular store and you you go inside or strike up a conversation with the, the teenage guy who brings out your groceries at the pickup, you have moments where you are around other people. Make the most of those and be on the lookout for the lost. You know what I found? When I'm actually paying attention, God sends people who are open. I I don't know how many I miss during the course of a day, but I do know that when I actually start out the day and say, God, I want to share the gospel with somebody. I want to be able to talk to somebody about you. I want to encourage somebody. When, When I start off with that, it seems like I'm much more likely to run into somebody that I wouldn't have expected and God opened the door for a long conversation. Now, again, if you're talking to a cashier and you've got a queue of 15 people behind you, that's probably not a time to get in a full gospel presentation. You know, don't sit down and go through the two diagnostic questions with EE. And, you know, that's not the time for that. 
However, you can say, man, I hope that you have a great day. You know, I was actually at McDonald's this morning because it was one of those mornings, and I needed a McGriddle. McGriddles make everything better except for your cholesterol, I think. <laughs> so as I was going through McDonald's, I, I pulled up, and I was fumbling with my app trying to figure out if I could get a buck off of something, you know, and I was going through trying to find my deals, and the lady at the, the pay window was actually really kind and very cordial. And you know what? As I finished up paying with her, you know what she said? God bless you. You know, just a little statement like that. Why? You know, I follow Jesus, so I'm hoping that she does as well. I don't know for sure. But just little statements like that can be the hooks that God starts using to create curiosity in somebody who needs Jesus. So look out for the lost. When Jesus called him, Levi changed. And it's interesting because you notice the first thing he wanted to do was have his friends celebrate with him. That's why I invited him over for a party that evening. And that's why we see the second thing we, we see here. Number two, don't be scared to invest. Don't be scared to invest. Look at verse 15. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. Now, remember in those days, um, you didn't have chairs. So you would sit with your feet away from the table, leaned up, propped up on a pillow on your elbow, and you'd eat reclining at the table. Okay, So while he was reclining at the table at, in Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Jesus is eating a meal with those people. See, all of us, if we're honest, have a group in our mind that is those people. Whether it's a particular sin issue that you struggle with or or that they struggle with that you don't, or whether it's where they line up politically, or where they line up, where their racial issues are, whatever it is, all of us have in our head, when I say those people, there's a picture that comes to mind. Jesus had dinner with those people. Not just a, you know awkward elbow bump or one of those fist bumps where you go to fist bump and they go to shake your hand and it just turns into this weird thing. Have y'all never done that? I'm getting to the point where I just want to make it awkward. If someone fist bump, I'm just going to grab it and start shaking, you know? Let's go for it. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to his house and actually sat down and ate a full meal. Some of you guys remember that in the before times when you used to go to people's houses, right? But that's a very intimate thing. You don't just invite anybody over to your house. That, that's a big deal. When, when you're invited to somebody's house and you sit down and share a meal with them, that's, that's a, a big step in investing in their life. And Jesus was willing to do that with those people. This could have actually made Jesus ceremonially unclean because some of those folks weren't walking closely with God. They were engaged in things they shouldn't have. And so by Jesus eating with them, he could have made himself ceremonially unclean, except for the fact that he's Jesus. So he's Jesus. All right. Was Jesus' priority to make sure that all his church friends knew how good he was? It was to sit with the sick. See the response there? He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty to heal our souls. He walked dusty roads. He touched lepers, paralytics, those possessed by demons, and those who were enslaved to sin. He physically touched them. He took time to invest in the lives of those who recognize their need for him. By the way, how do we know that they recognize their need for him? It says that many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus, and his disciples 
for there were many who were following him. Jesus had started investing in people, and this is the phrase that they were used to mainly talk about people who commit their lives to following Jesus and becoming his disciples. Many of the people that the world overlooks are the very ones that Jesus was drawing to himself, and they're the very ones who will be likely to follow Jesus. Yet I'm afraid sometimes we're too scared to invest. We do need to make the most of the passing moments that we have. We, we need to try to, as best we can, like I said, with the cashier or the guy who brings your click list order out or the nurse that brings you back to the doctor, we make the most of those passing moments. But guys, sometimes those passing moments need to turn into extended encounters. We need to be willing to invest. Maybe that means that although that cashier is the slowest bagger known to mankind, you keep going into his line so that that way you can keep the conversation going. Or you try to sit in that person's section. You know how God's worked before? There was a restaurant that my wife and I used to go to on dates that she absolutely hated, and I'm not going to name it. But she would go with because it was us, and it was what we do for breakfast on Fridays. And we ended up sitting in the same section as this server multiple times. Well, we had shared the gospel with her. We had been able to give her a business card. She got into a bind and ran into some difficulty and was able to call the church. The church was actually able to help her to be able to get through some of the difficulties she's facing. Now, she's moved out of the area, so I don't know long-term what God did. But we were able to be involved and engaged in a life. I think about a car hop that we used to have that we met over and over again. It seemed like every night we would go to Sonic, which was more than what it ought to have been. God sent the same car hop to our car every single time. We were able to invest in them. We've only run into her once in the community since she stopped working at Sonic. Guys, don't be scared to invest. It may even mean that you invite somebody over to your house. Some of you I know are... are uncomfortable being in large groups right now because of COVID, and I understand it. But maybe there's somebody you work with that you're around all day, every day, and maybe they're too, they don't feel comfortable in large groups. Maybe you want to invite them to your house on a Sunday to watch the service with you so they can start seeing what church is all about. Are you willing for people to possibly misunderstand and malign you for hanging out with them, whoever that is for you, or are you too afraid of what others might think or what it might cost you? Realize we're not the first Christians to face a pandemic. If you go back, one of the greatest statements, and we're going to look at this. I'm sorry, it's a long quote, but you're going to have to go with me because I think it's, it's worth us looking at in detail. If you remember, there was this thing called the Black Plague, the bubonic plague that went through Europe in the 1300s and killed somewhere between a, around a third to possibly even a half of the population of Europe in a matter of like two years. I can't imagine the fear that would come in the middle of that pandemic. Well, it kind of faded out, but then about 200 years later, during the lifetime and ministry of Martin Luther, who was one of the great magisterial reformers, he was one of the great men in history that God used to help the church turn around, the bubonic plague started to reemerge in pockets around Germany. So then they began to have a discussion, what are we to do as Christians in light of this pandemic that we're facing? Do we run away from it? Do we stay? And if we die, we die. I would encourage you, by the way, if you have questions about, um, about how to, to face this, I would encourage you to read Martin Luther's letter. He does a tremendous job in this letter, not just talking about this, but other issues where good, well-intentioned Christians may disagree on exactly what's best. He does a really good job of helping us see what the balance looks like. 
Here's a quote out of that letter that he wrote in light of what was going on with the plague in that day. Kind of summing it all up, he said this, Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated, and thus perchance infect and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he'll surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. So here's what Martin Luther said. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to stop the plague. I think that's still a very God-honoring prayer for us in light of the pandemic. Pray that God would stop this thing in its tracks. He can. He's more than capable. Then he said, I'm going to take the precautions necessary and required to help slow the spread of disease. With that, I'm going to recognize that God is ultimately in charge, so if I die, I die. And in this, I'm still going to maintain a willingness to recognize and help those in need around me. Did you catch that? He said, guys, I'm going to fumigate. I'm going to Lysol everything I can. I'm going to wear my mask. I'm going to not go places I don't need to. But if somebody needs me, I'm going to be right there. That's what our healthcare workers are doing day in and day out. But my question is this. Are we willing to risk getting sick to meet the spiritual needs around us? There's a tension here. I don't know where to land on it, truthfully. There's a part of me that loves the first half of that, says, you know what, I'm going to wear a mask, I'm going to distance, I'm not going to go out much because I don't want to be responsible for my death or the death of others. It's a wise, wise perspective. There's another part of me that says, people around me are dying and going to hell. Whether they're dying of COVID-19 or a car wreck or congestive heart failure or whatever they're dying of, they're dying and going to hell. And I want to be involved and I want to be engaged and I want to be where people are so that hopefully I could warn somebody. There may be a tension there. How safe do we play it? How restrictive do we get? And here's the thing, guys. People who love Jesus are going to see it differently than you do. There are some churches like John MacArthur's church in California that has been boldly, blatantly defying the governor's orders meeting in person because they feel convicted that that's what God's led them to do. There are other churches like Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina that decided that for several months they would just go to doing house churches where they would stream the service and you would get together with a kind of two or three other families every Sunday and it was the same set of families so you were limiting exposure risks and, and they, they would manage it that way. Which one's right? I don't know. You need to do what God's calling you to do. Whatever you do, it can't be out of fear. Fear is never a God-honoring response to this. Faith, wisdom, prudence, those are God-honoring responses. Boldness is also a God-honoring response. And maybe those things aren't antithetical. Maybe they're not in tension with each other, but I feel like there has to be some level of tension. Some of us are more likely to throw caution to the wind, rush headlong into the fray, while others are more likely to withdraw completely from everyone and everything. Where are you on that spectrum? Where do you need to be more cautious or where do you need to seek to ask God to open your eyes to the needs around you to see what he sees? Those who see things differently 
than you do may not always agree with the way you respond. Well, how do we respond to that? Well, I would say we would do the same thing that Jesus did. He was willing to invest regardless of what others say, which is why we draw out our third principle here, and that is stay the course. Stay the course. Look back at verses 16 and 17. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, oh my goodness, you're right. Oh, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't be doing that. No. Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus responded by saying, guys, look, this is what I came to do. This is what my mission on earth is. And you know what, guys? It's the same thing he's calling us to do. Matthew, whose house that he was sitting at, is the one who would write the version of the Great Commission that we most often recite in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, where he recorded Jesus' words telling us to go out into all the nations and make disciples. Think about it. That started that night in his house when he saw Jesus sitting with people who weren't like him. People that said, you shouldn't be with these people. You shouldn't do that right now. And yet Jesus said, this is what I'm called to do, to invest. He didn't waver because he knew that's exactly what God had called him to do and to be. Now, listen to me clearly. I am not advocating that you arrogantly ignore the advice and counsel of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? Just using this as an example, how many of you have known a young man who has been dating a young woman, and you say, this woman is not following Jesus, you should not be dating her, because the Bible says that you need to not be unequally yoked, and he said, oh, but I can win her to Christ. I know, I know that this guy's not walking with Jesus, but if I just, I, I'll love him to Jesus, right? Okay, in those instances, that's not what we're talking about here. If you're, you may have brothers and sisters in Christ who look at what you're doing and they, they see it a little bit better because they, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You're too close to it. And so your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ have some detachment. They can step back and say, hey, I don't think this is wise. What I see here doesn't line up with what God says in his word. So don't arrogantly ignore that and just bullheaded run into things. However, when God lays on your heart, something that you know he is calling you to do, that's in line with his word. Guys, that's the key. Everything we do has to line up with God's word. He does not contradict himself. So he's never going to call you to do something that is contrary to what he's told you to do in his word, okay? So as you examine, if you, let's say this, okay? Let's say that you grew up in a, a very prejudiced family, okay? You grew up, um, you know, looking around the room, looks like most of us are white, You grew up and your parents hated black people. And so in you, there is that little bit of tension because you know the racism that's in your past. And you befriend a guy at work who is not only black, he's a Muslim from North Africa. And you have him over to your house. And your dad finds out about it. And he comes unglued. How dare you have one of those... Stay the course. 
If God opens the door for you to be able to invest in the life of a Muslim from North Africa, you may be the very first Christian that they have ever truly encountered. Everybody in America, you know, is assumed to be Christian, but a lot of us don't live like it, and a lot of us truly aren't saved. So if you are investing in their life for them to see who Jesus is, you may be the first person in all of history, so don't let a family history of prejudice and racism keep you from investing. Stay the course. You may have brothers and sisters in Christ who look at the way that we respond to this pandemic differently than you do. Stay the course for what you believe God's calling you to do. Again, listen graciously, humbly, with wisdom, acknowledging that folks may land in different places on different parts of the issue here. But you do what God has called you to do because there's a lost world out there who is dying without Jesus. And we can't play it safe. People may misunderstand why you're developing a relationship with somebody, why you're going somewhere, why you're doing something, and they may try to get you to stop. After you, again, examine your heart, make sure that your motives and actions align with what God says in his word, you have to be willing to obey Christ no matter what others say. See, we go out from our worship services as people whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus loved us so much that he would take our disease of sin that he didn't carry in himself, that he would die on the cross to break its power and raise from the dead to show that he had overcome sin and death. And we're trying to take as many people with us as we can, trying to point as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. Yes, even in the middle of a pandemic. See, Jesus uses the term righteous ironically here. It says, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's not saying that you can be good enough to save yourself. He's saying that you can't be made well until you realize you're sick. The Pharisees thought they were righteous, and Jesus wasn't going to waste time with them because they, they thought they were good. They weren't, but they were unwilling to acknowledge their sickness. How many of you have ever known somebody, I've known stories of especially guys, who've ignored some kind of medical issue for so long that by the time they finally go to the doctor, it's too late? They've been sick for a really long time, but they would never acknowledge their sickness, and by the time they get to the doctor, there's only so much the doctor can do. See, when Jesus said he came to call the sick, he called the ones who weren't going to just keep ignoring that pain, you know? but the ones who are willing to go get help. The sinners, the tax collectors, they knew everybody hated them. The sinners knew, looking at the Pharisees, that they weren't walking with God. And Jesus said, I've come to them because they know they need it. The Bible says that the same is true of all of us, by the way. We are all sick and in need of God to heal us. Despite what Disney says, following your heart is terrible advice. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is, deceit, is more deceitful than anything else, okay? Guys, I feel like, like I want to leave flyers with this everywhere in Epcot, you know, just kind of lay them around, you know. Hey, just a reminder, dreams of wish your heart makes, and your heart is desperately sick. It's incurable, Right? Your heart will lead you astray because it's sick. Who can understand it? By the way, the next verse, which is not on the screen, goes on to say that I, the Lord, search the mind and the heart. 
God's the only one who knows how messed up our hearts are. And see, you and I are sick with this disease the Bible calls sin. Through his word, he's revealed to us that each and every single one of us has fallen short of God's design. We have all messed up. We've all done the wrong thing. We've all fallen short. All of our hearts are tainted with sin from the very moment we are conceived. And yet God in his love and his mercy and his grace came to sit with the sick to take our sin upon himself, to die in our place and be raised from the dead so that now I could have a new life. So that now I have the privilege, as many pastors have said it for years, I have the privilege of being not some kind of super spiritual giant that says, come, be like me. But instead, I get to be a beggar who tells other beggars where I found bread. I get to go out to Kroger where I see a people who are scared and who are worried and who are frustrated because toilet paper is still out of stock. And in the midst of that frustration, I get to be able to go to them and use things like the three circles that we've learned before as a church. We've looked at that, the evangelism presentation method called the three circles. It starts with anytime anything's wrong, you can say, you know what? God didn't design it to be like this. This is not how it was supposed to be. But we decided to to sin, and that led us to brokenness. We couldn't fix the brokenness on our own, and so God sent Jesus to die in our place. You know you can actually have that conversation in the toilet paper aisle at Kroger? Hashtag 2021, right? See, Jesus, when he came, he sat with the sick. It looks different this year. But we don't have an excuse. What do you need to do differently this week? For some of you, you need to place your trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. For you, this is a message about the fact that your heart is sick. And you need Jesus. You can't solve it on your own. There's no vaccine for this. The only thing that can change you is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and now his lordship. So you turn from what you know to be sin to turn to following Jesus. Place your life in his control. For some of you, you've been throwing caution to the wind and maybe God's calling you to be a little bit more cautious just so that you can continue to preserve life around you and fight for that. Some of you have become fearful and that's turned you inward. You haven't noticed anybody around you for months. God's calling you to look up again. Whatever it is, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, I know we've got some of our college students are home that are headed back to campus this week. As you guys head back, you're going to a different group of people, especially if you're living on campus, and you've got some incredible opportunities because uh, I know you're at Liberty, but still not everybody at Liberty saved, right? Shocker, just in case you didn't know, not everybody at Liberty saved. When you're living in the residence halls, you've got, you're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, and you've got every opportunity to have these conversations in an incredible way. Look out for the lost. Don't be scared to invest. Yeah, but Sean, my family will say, yeah, but so-and-so will say. What's Jesus say about it? That's all that matters. Stay the course. Keep investing. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep loving others. And see what God can do. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I'm going to invite Daniel to come back up here. and We just want to give you a, a moment here at the end of the service. We... We like to take some time to let this sink in. I've been yelling at you for 44 minutes now. So now it's time to be quiet for just a minute and do business with God. 
Is there somebody on your mind and heart already that you've encountered recently that you know doesn't know Jesus? Would you ask God to open the doors and give you the boldness to know how to share the gospel with them? If you say, Sean, I, I can't really think of anybody. I don't really know a whole lot of people who don't know Jesus. Would you ask God to give you the wisdom to get your head up? To look around? To see the lost just like he did with Matthew that day? Oh man, guys, as I look around this room, I see people that God has scattered all throughout this community in all different walks of life and all different jobs and all different scenarios and environments. I mean, very few of you even work in the same places. That means God's given us lots of ponds to fish from. What's God want you to do to invest in the lives around you? How do we do that with wisdom? Would you ask God to guide you about what's wise to do in the middle of the pandemic? Would you help him to be, ask him to help you be cautious where you need to be? Would you ask him to help you to be bold and confident where you need to be? And again, if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, if you've not placed your life in his control, would you ask him to save you today?